It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, and welcome to another special edition bonus podcast. This time previewing the upcoming URC final between the DHL Stormers and Munster. In the blue corner, we have our reigning champion Stormers back on home soil for another league final. Facing them, the mighty Munster, led by first-year head coach Graham Roundtree. Munster returned to their first final since 2021, but have not claimed silverware since a decade prior to that. Is this Saturday's date with Destiny in Cape Town where all that changes? And can Peter O'Mahony and co. bag another medal before their career is out? We certainly hope so. I'm excited, if you can't tell already. And with me to preview this weekend's final this evening is Jeff Neville who ta- now takes the honour of being our first returning guest on the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Jeff. Yeah, no bother. Thanks for having me. Are you, um, are you excited for the, for the game? We record on Tuesday, so will the, will the nerves and excitement just go up day by day now from here? Uh, yeah, I think it's one of those things where um, you probably try and keep yourself busy throughout the week and kind of it's in the back of your mind, like and you're looking forward to it, but like there's little things like yesterday, was it yesterday? I think it was. You saw the squad that was traveling over, and you kind of looked at the squad and you said, Geez, that's a good squad. And again, you kind of put it out of your head a little bit. And then, you know, you go to work today, somebody says, Oh, you're looking forward to the game the weekend. Do you know? And you have a little yeah. chat, but I don't think it's until maybe Saturday morning when you wake up and you kind of go, Geez, today's, today's the final. Like, you know, it's final day. I think that's when it really bites home. But, uh, you know, you're just trying to, like, I know it probably sounds a bit strange if someone's not that interested in sport or, but like, I mean, it's been so long, I think that since Munster kind of have given us this sort of excitement, um, like I know we were in a final there a couple of years ago and, you know, you look back at that Scarlet's final, uh, that was in the Aviva, I believe, you know, you look back at those finals, you're kind of thinking to yourself, you know, there was a shot, but you know, this feels a bit different I think I think this feels like it doesn't feel like geez you know there's a chance it feels like they could actually do this you know and when you take in the context of the season you take in what's been built a complete upheaval of coaches a complete different style of play uh, installing that throughout the season 
and that's that's a big thing and i think people probably don't just realize how difficult it is to actually start from scratch and go into a season with a brand new framework both attack and defense and have to learn to implement it throughout the season and as a result of said framework get to a final like it's um it's hugely exciting i suppose if if especially if you're involved immediately you know between players or staff um or backroom staff etc it's obviously a very exciting time but you look at what Munster have achieved this year and when you add in the like you know there, there's teams there like I mean Leinster fans are probably thinking they got to a final like sure we do that etc and I understand that but it's only when you take in the context of everything that you look at it and you go Jesus not many teams can go through a full upheaval and still make a final so yeah it's, it's hugely exciting you know yeah no it is and there's a there's definitely a buzz around it I think having the week off in between granted that was Ireland Cup final week I think that adds to it a small bit as well because you kind of it slowly builds you know as you said like the squad was announced there yesterday Monday yesterday as we record you know come Friday you'll have the team announcement you'll probably have interviews dropping tomorrow or maybe Thursday and just builds slowly and there is I think some of that buzz is just different to previous Pro 14 finales just because the URC now feels like a bigger deal. We're about to close the curtain on the second campaign of the URC. And Grant, I think I know what your answer to this is going to be, but do you think it has been a success in its in its first two years? Ah, huge. And I, I think I think I think anybody who denies the fact how good the URC URC has been over the last I nearly said UFC there. But anybody who denies kind of how good the URC has been over the last couple of seasons like you'd have to question you'd have to question it like because I mean I remember during the Pro 14 kind of era it was kind of a case of well you know we'll play the full season we'll go into knockouts and then Leinster will win it's a bit like that old joke about football you know it's an easy sport you play 90 minutes and then Germany win it was a bit like that but then suddenly enter URC and I suppose at the very start there was probably that discourse or narrative of well we're going to play another season it's still the same teams um, and if you remember there and uh, the first season of the URC was a very slow start for a lot of South African teams so mm-hmm. suddenly people were saying oh well they're not adding anything Leinster are going to win this again etc cetera, etc cetera. and then suddenly that narrative ends when they're knocked out of a semi-final and it's all an all South African semi-final now you look at this season again and again Leinster win everything up and kind of like until around what like round they had a draw was it around round 16 or 15 or 16 whatever it might have been 15 um, I think it was yeah. And then suddenly, you know, they, they lose in South Africa, but I mean, nobody really cared. You know, that kind of yeah. way the business was done. They they go on to the, the quarterfinal, whatever, that's grand. But then they suddenly lose a semifinal. And for the second year in a row, if you're a URC organizer, if you're involved in the advertising or marketing, you're thinking to yourself, like not this is nothing against Leinster or anything like that, but you're you're, you're thinking to yourself, this is a second season where that narrative of Leinster just going to win is gone. And suddenly, even in that last weekend, let's say, in that semi-final weekend, you had Munster-Leinster, you had Connacht, who had an unbelievable win against um, Ulster and uh, down in the Stormers. And you're thinking, right, okay, this could go a couple of ways. This is either going to be Munster going to South Africa, the Stormers going to Dublin, Connacht going to Limerick. Like suddenly in, yeah. in, in the space of in two games, you had all these permutations and you're thinking to yourself, this could go anywhere. Now, as a, I suppose, as, a, as an Irish person, I was thinking to myself, 
geez, I'd love Connacht and Toman Park. Well, I say Toman Park because I obviously wanted Munster to win. Like, but you're thinking if it's suddenly an All Irish final, be it in Toman or be it in Dublin, you're thinking to yourself, well, this is going to be a sellout because obviously it yeah. would be, you know. And maybe I'm kind of half blind because the provinces are doing so well, and because you know you had three provinces in the last four. Like I'm sure if you were Welsh or if you know Italian, you were well. You know what? Even Benetton were in with a shout there until round maybe sixteen, seventeen. So, you know, you're 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 thinking it has to be a success. You know, it, it is a huge success, and probably the only people who probably would argue that is maybe the Welsh sides. But I think it's their own structures that maybe aren't allowing them get the full benefit and enjoy the URC as much. Um, after the Champions Cup final, you know, you had some pundits on telly saying the league doesn't prepare Leinster well enough for for Champions Cup rugby and you're like well hang on they didn't make a final last year they didn't make a final this year surely you know surely that that doesn't add up like you know the only way that argument holds water is if they they went and won both two seasons in a row which they didn't so I mean yeah it's it's been hugely successful between a marketing between excitement in the league and I think even if you look at the last maybe three rounds of the regular season three rounds to go so you're looking at round 16 there's huge amount of permutations and there's maybe what was it 12 or 14 teams i think 12 champing at a bit for top eight like 12 could have got top eight 13 yeah. could have got europe when you yeah this is, so, so there you go like i mean that's like usually at the business end of the season in a league you're kind of looking at it and you're going okay we're mid-table there's nothing really to play for but all of a sudden even if you're eight, you're like, well, that's not good enough. We have to get seventh. And maybe that's not even good enough. So we have to push six. So you're watching the last round of the season. And even though you're seventh and you might have maybe top eight guaranteed, you're suddenly hunting for sixth because long story short, you could still miss out. So yeah, it's been hugely successful. It's been hugely exciting. And I mean, the numbers are there to prove it. Um, so yeah, like I think if you're a URC organizer, if you're involved in it um, in any way, shape or form, you you must be hugely proud of the product because it's being it's being digested by thousands upon thousands of people every day. Yeah, and it's it's funny you mentioned the the statistical side of it as well because Martin and I has come out in recent interviews. He said that the TV viewing figures are up by about forty to fifty percent on the Pro Fourteen era. They've set record attendances across the season. Granted, it helps when you got South African teams in the in bigger stadiums, but they don't always sell them out, so it's worth noting as well. And like it has been a success, and that's probably why, you know, coming into this weekend, it doesn't feel like, like even Munster, sorry, Munster, I was going to say the Munster Scarlets game that year. That's probably not a good example because that was in Dublin. But you could even go back to maybe the the Glasgow Leinster game in nineteen, which was the last final before COVID, and it it was big, but it wasn't the big deal at the time. Do you know when when they had Europe and everything? Whereas now it, this actually does feel like a big deal because. You know, as you said, it's not easy to win it. If the Stormers go back to back, it's testament to them. But quite frankly, we could have two different winners in two years and neither of them be the favourites heading into the season or even favourites heading into the last couple of games because the Stormers were number three seed, if I'm correct. Yeah, number three seed. Yeah, they can turn. So, like, that's it's a lot of change. Like, imagine you look at England, for example, I'm pretty sure one and two got to the final. You look at the URC, one and two both got knocked out. So it's t- it's testament to the league, really. And it's, I suppose, what most people are here listening for, listening to this for is more 
about the game itself, the, the grand final, as they, they have it coined. And it's, I suppose, you, no matter what way you try and look at it, this has been a huge success for Munster, in my opinion, in the first season of the Graham Lottery Project. And I suppose, would you go along with that, Jeff? Do you think it's, as, as an overall aim, as an overall of where they're trying to get to, just the fact that they could grind out a win over Leinster in a semi-final, get over that hurdle, get to another final, having started so shaky, it must be huge for a camp. Not Maybe not this week. If they were to lose, if they were to win, maybe not this week, but when you bounce back in in, in August or whenever pre-season starts. A hundred percent. Like, it's been a hugely successful season for Munster. Like, you look at, like, we, we, we kind of mentioned already, like, the total upheaval of everything. It's like, I don't think there's any underselling just how much of an upheaval it was. You had a coach last year who, like, you know, decided he was leaving and, you know, it was in his contract so he could, but really not at an opportune time because the time for looking for coaches was before that. And you're suddenly looking for top coaches heading into um, the end of, like, the season before a World Cup. So, I mean, they're obviously going to be a lot, well, the way we've seen it this year, a lot of them suddenly weren't tied up. But initially, you know, some, some of the best coaches in the world are all tied up. So it's not an ideal scenario. Now, Roundtree gets promoted from within. And I was all for it at the time. I'm still all for it. But he brings in, you know, Leamy, Prendy. He brings in, you know, new coaches all around him, etc. And suddenly you are building from scratch. And I remember an interview with Dennis Leamy back in September, October, and he's saying you won't see results until December. Like you won't. And if you go back to the start of the season, I mean, they lost five of the first seven games. And you just look at some of the teams they lost to. I mean, you look at that Dragons game back in, uh, was it September, October, it was, whenever it was? It was round two, so it would have been September, I think. Yeah, you, you look at that game against the Dragons. And I remember after that, I remember thinking to myself, I know it's a building year and I know it's a transition year but surely that shouldn't include losing to the Dragons. And yeah. yeah, it might sound disrespectful to the Dragons. And, you know, if there's any Dragons fans listening to this, yeah, you're right to probably be angry at me. But like, I mean, look, look at the table. Do you know what I mean? I was kind of like, surely it doesn't include this. Yeah. If you had told me after that Dragons game or after the fifth loss of the season in seven games that Munster would be in the URC final, you'd probably be laughed at a little bit. But... Mm-hmm. I think, well, there's a couple of things, to be honest with you. First off, you look at Roundtree. He was an assistant coach for so long, be it internationally, be it on the lines, be it at Munster. He knows how important it is to have a strong team around you. And he went out and he got them, and he wasn't afraid to. It was a case of, no, I know, don't get me wrong, like JP Ferreira went with Van Graan, et cetera. And, and you know, I, I get that. But he was not afraid to go out and say, I want Mike Prendergast, I want Dennis Neamey, etc. And that's exactly what he did. He brought in his own team. And I think he understood just how important it is to have the people you want with you. The second thing I think is, like you said, is it a, is it a, a success for Munster as it stands? Let's say even right now, even, even making the final. I was not there at this meeting at the start of the year, so I don't know for, for sure. Well, I, yeah. I never know for sure. Nobody will unless you were there. But ultimately, at the start of the year, I highly doubt part of their objectives for the season was to win the URC. Considering everything, considering they knew they'd have to drop games, etc., to implement the framework and all this, I strongly, strongly doubt that being where they are now was part of their success criteria for the season. 
Now, I'm a big believer in like putting winning the league or winning Champions Cup, etc. If that's part of your success criteria, that's not year one. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. it's it's a case of building. Now I know we all know that Keith Wood story from years ago when he joined from Harley when he joined back from Harlequins and he said let's win the Heineken Cup and people were laughing. He was like, well, listen, you want to be taken seriously, let's win the Heineken Cup. But that was the start of Munster. This is Munster after winning two. This is Munster after going over ten years without winning a trophy. This is Munster in year one of a total rebuild, etc. I just don't think that that was part of the success criteria. Now. Suddenly they had Europe after getting seven points in South Africa. That itself was massive. That win in South Africa yeah. against the Stormers, and especially when we're looking towards the final, and we'll get to that in a second, huge. And then getting the draw the following week in order to nail down uh, European spots. There's no, unders- again, I keep using the word underselling. I'm going to have to come up with a different word, but there's, there's no, like, it was huge. It was absolutely massive. Now, yeah. I know they lost to Leinster twice in the regular season. You look at that second loss to Leinster, it was very clear things were changing. And mm-hmm. like I, I said it on Provincial State of Mind a couple of times, there's losses you can take and there's losses you can take. That second loss against Leinster was one you could walk away from and go, do you know what? Like, yeah, you're obviously disappointed you lost, but you can look at it and go, that's okay, because we're on something here. Beating Leinster in now the Glasgow game alone, putting an end to their home record, etc. Again, you're knocking a big, big team off their pedestal there. But beating Leinster in that semi-final, like, and people can go on about team selection all they want, etc. And people can go on about referees all they want. You can't stop that. But ultimately, it's 23 against 23. That was a huge monkey to get off the back for, for Munster. It was, it was absolutely massive that they finally just kind of got on top of Leinster. Because, I mean, you look at, you look at Leinster over the years, there's players who are playing for Leinster and that would have been their first loss ever against Munster. Like you look at Ross Byrne, I'd say he's lost maybe one, two games tops, tops against Munster over the years. You've had Leinster buses pull up to Toman Park and none of them even nervous because why should they be? Like, mm-hmm. you know, they've never lost there. So why would you be nervous about it? You're nervous yeah. about the game, sure. And you'd respect them as a team, but like you wouldn't be shitting yourself over it, you know? But suddenly to get that over them in the Aviva, to get to a final, absolutely huge. It's absolutely huge. And especially because, and I know they lost Champions Cup and I know they lost semi-final the last two years, but they are essentially a benchmark for Irish rugby for the last two years. And yeah. I mean, they lost that semi-final last year, wasn't against a provincial team. They lost two Heineken Cups, wasn't against a provincial team. It's it's finally just seen as a huge step that has been taken, and to be honest with you, the last thing I'll say is we mentioned that win in South Africa, um, that first win in South Africa, or sorry, the only win in South Africa of the two games. And I know they drew, but that first win against the Stormers, and now they have mm-hmm. to go back there again in a final. Yeah, just knowing that they've done it before, they know what they need to do, they know what's expected. Obviously, you up it a bit more because it's it's higher stakes and it's. The Stormers also know what you're bringing too. But to be able to fall back on the fact we've done it already, it's massive. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely huge. So yeah, is Munster's a success already this story? Or, or this year, is it a success story already? Uh, yeah, it absolutely is because you look at Ulster. They're building three, four, or four or five years now. 
You look at yeah. Connacht under Friends, they're building five years. You look at Leinster under Lancaster, again, he's there. Five, I think. Five, yeah, five, six, whatever it may be. Like Munster year one in a final. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, it is. And funnily enough, a big part of Munster's start to the revival and possibly the end point, not just for the final itself, but you know, you look at the end of the season is South Africa. Cue the jokes, whatever, they're not funny. Anyways, that big win in Porky Cueve was huge for Munster. It was the first night, even though it was biblical conditions, you were like, okay, this team is going somewhere. They look like they have something different about them. Um, Like, from a tactical standpoint, do you think much changed, or was it just that Prendergast and Leamy and the lads, they had more time with the players? It was the November break. You know, Munster, say five to ten players on, on Ireland duty so they had a long break there to get the lads in to get them singing off the same hymn sheet and just over time it just improved and then you see that statement when they go and I think they beat Connacht in their first game back they beat Edinburgh on the road and then suddenly that Dragons game that we mentioned feels like a long long time ago Yeah I don't think anything changed to be honest with you because I mean they were looking to implement a framework from the start of the season South Africa was November, wasn't it? In around it November. So. The 10th of November. Yeah, sorry. I'm no good with dates. Everything just kind of muddles together um, <laughs> in one big long season. But And I should know what date it was because I was there. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't think they actually changed anything at all. There was a number of factors there. First off, they're looking to implement a new framework. From the start of the season, you have to give it time. You have to trust the process. And just because those first you know, seven games, you're not looking at that and you're saying, well, this isn't working, we need to change it. That's maybe a, a player mindset. Some players are quite reactive to what's happening. Like a player might watch a game and see somebody do something and say, we need to do that next week because X, Y, Z, like or I saw Hurricanes do it last week, so we need to be doing this. Whereas coaches are more process-driven and they're, they're, they're more kind of long-term. So I don't think anything changed at all. It's just they had, like you said, longer time. You also look at the players, like you said there, November break, etc. There was no games, but there was that Emerging Ireland tour where Munster yeah. had lost a rake of boys to that as well. So suddenly they're coming back. They have to get a break, etc., etc. I mean, you're looking at maybe round nine, eight or nine, maybe, before Munster had players that they, like, you know, a full complement yeah. to choose from, you know? So... And I know, don't get me wrong, I know Leinster had more emerging Ireland players on that tour, I believe, but again, they had the depth, they were there, they were established, they had the framework in place, so it wasn't, it was nowhere near as big an issue, you know, but it was genuinely a good chunk of the season before Munster had a full selection of players to play from. Now, I know Owen Harrison, he's a big believer in that South Africa game, and he sees it as, as a season of two halves, and he often says it, he sees it before Porky, even after. And to be honest, it's not hard to see why. Uh, there was a couple yeah. of glitches along the way, don't get me wrong. Like, I know you mentioned that Connacht game, Edinburgh on the road, that Edinburgh game on the road. Didn't they go behind? They went 14 or 17 behind. Yeah, it was a good chunk. Clawed it back to 35 19 or 35 21. And one well, like, you know. Yeah. Um, but there were still glitches. Like, you look at that Glasgow game at home, that probably stuck it. To be honest, yeah. if there was any game, you look at that Dragons game. 
that Cardiff game, you can kind of forgive it because it was, you know, the, the framework's being implemented. That Glasgow game at home in Thomond was probably the game that sticks in the crowd the most just because yeah. of that first half. And you're kind of thinking, this shit's not on. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to curse. You're that's just kind of like, that. that's not on, you know? Um, it's, uh, that, that's probably the game that sticks in the crowd the most this season. But ultimately, to be able to bounce back from that, face Glasgow away then in a, in a quarter final, massive. So, yeah, I don't think they actually changed anything. Uh, don't get me wrong, they, they would have added stuff and they would have tweaked stuff as they went and they would have improved stuff, uh, obviously, through trial and error and that's that's how it goes. But in terms of a total framework, I think it was just trust the process it could come. And then finally, when they got a full complement of players back between international or emerging Ireland, between injuries, etc. You know, you, you look at the likes of Vidagbo, he's only played like 15 minutes uh, since November. So, I mean, he started hugely promising, obviously got injured. Looking forward to seeing him back, you know, fit and fire next season. Um, but if you look at someone like Gavin Coombs' his first season, a senior with, with Munster, the minutes are in around the same. They're not too far off. And yeah. then suddenly the next season and the following season, the shoot-up's huge. So, I mean, yeah, like people who are worried that he won't, like himself and Tomasa Hearns, another guy, you know, you, you kind of you want to see them playing. But at the same time, if you can start a second row of the likes of Klein and Snyman with Byrne at six, O'Mahony at seven and Coombs at eight, you look at that back five, yeah. back five, five forwards, I should say. That's that's a horrible, a horrible looking pack, you know. And if yeah. you're playing against it, and then seeing the likes of a dog ball coming off the bench, or or Hearn or Witchley or something like that, or Kendellan, who's been unbelievable the last kind of eighteen months or whatever it is, you you look at players like that coming off the bench, a John Hadness, and you're thinking to yourself, this really is starting to to grow, and and things are starting to go places. And like John Hadness, probably worth to mention because. He won the tackle machine there, I believe, this year with the ORC, but he played, I think, 16 games last season. But we probably didn't see his impact because the style of play was just quite heavy. You know, yeah. it, it, it just didn't suit kind of his style of play. But suddenly you see a framework change. You see a, an on-ball game suddenly coming in and you just look at Hadnett and how much he shines. Like, he links so well, he carries really well out wide. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a game style suited for him. You, you, you look at older players... And, uh, you know, you look to like Stephen Archer and you're probably thinking, you know, like, Ow. <laughs> like you know, kind of this, this yeah. isn't going to suit him. And then he goes, you know, 80s over in South Africa. He's played out of his skin. Um, his game or the S&C management for him over the last while has been unbelievable in his final year because it's just allowed him to really peak at the right time. But yeah. like it's, um, yeah, I think nothing has changed framework wise from the start of the season in terms of, getting rid of it or changing it, they can't. You can't afford to because, I mean, if you, if you lose three, four games or five as Munster did at the start of the season and you say, okay, this isn't working, we need to scrap this, then, like, I mean, you, you, you'll never have a full one implemented. I remember chatting to uh, Kieran Crowley back after uh, that unbelievable Benetton Rainbow Cup win. And like that, I asked him, did you just implement a new framework for the Rainbow Cup? And he said, no, it was the same one we were using. It's just we had our defence coach back because he would have been on international duty, etc. And they had a full complement of players during that Rainbow Cup period, stuck to the process, and, and that was it. So, I mean, you, you can't kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, as the, as the phrase goes. You have to trust the process because 
ultimately there's a reason you brought it in to begin with. Um, at the end of the season, yeah, you review it and you know you tweak it then, change it then. But when when you're implementing it halfway through a season, you, you can't like obviously you have plan Bs. Don't get me wrong, do you know. And obviously it depends on the the opposition you're facing. Like I mean, if you if you're going against a team like Connacht, you're probably not looking to kick the ball to them too often. Um, whereas against Ulster, you know they play very heavy off nine. So obviously these change depending on the opposition, but you know there is a framework in place. And I've, I've probably said this about nine times, so this will be the last time I say it. But yeah, you just keep it and you, you trust the process. Yeah, you know, and it was Mike Prendergast said a few times, you know, oh, there's green shoots of progress coming through. That was his buzzword in the media, and he was right. And a couple of players flourished under this. You think of you know Shane Daly, Calvin Nash. Antoine Frisch, new signing, John Hodnett. You got players in a different role. You know, you look at Sean Klein has changed his role under the, the new coaching ticket. Jim Barron, as we've seen through Access Munster, has come on as a real leader and a real vocal a, a voice in the dressing room. And like, you even look at someone like Craig Casey, Iron Day captain November, Gavin Coombs, the Witchley brothers, Kendellan, Adobo. So many young players, so many older players who have kicked on like how important are these guys in a season like this? But not not just in a season like this, rather, but in the long run. The fact that they 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 looked at what the coaches wanted, they said, right, I'm gonna to have to raise my game to that. And they met it and they've surpassed expectations to, to some people, not to everyone, of course. Like, how important is that just not just from a buy-in standpoint, but just again that project and going forward that these guys Every task, every challenge, they've just met it and they've they've just been unbelievable. They've been some of the stand-up pairs this year. Yeah, and it's um I remember chatting to Nyla Donovan over the summer. I met him at a wedding. Um, so I didn't want to, I suppose, bore the ear off him too much. So I just I hadn't seen him in a while, so I kind of said hello and how you keeping. And uh I just kind of said I have a feeling it's going to be a very young uh and I remember saying this last year as well on the podcast. I remember saying like it's going to be a very young uh, Munster team in terms of its age profile. And yeah. he just kind of nodded and he just went, I'm very excited. And I was like, yeah. and that like kind of takes a lot for Niall kind of to, to say that. Like, and I kind of went, yeah. And he was like, oh, I'm very excited. I'll say no more, but I'm very excited. And so, you know, like, like all those young guys you mentioned, I remember that the, the, the team was announced there yesterday, this traveling squad, I should say. And, on Twitter, someone was like, we'd love to see a dog bow in it. And you're thinking to yourself, this is what you want. Like you want, yeah. you want that excitement. And there was a period of time, like I think we'll see, uh, I don't know who will start to be honest, but I, I think Casey and Nine will be our two nines for that, for that final. Like, um, But there was a long, long time where you had all three nines available. And if you were asked on a Monday what two nines would be involved, and what nine would you leave out? You could ask 10 people, you get, you know, different answers. So yeah. it, it seems to me that a lot of players are being rewarded for how they're training and how they're playing. And I don't think you can deny the fact that they are deserving of spots. Like you look at John Hodnett, for example, right? If John Hodnett was left out of the 23 for this weekend and it easily could happen, mm-hmm. by the way, right? Yeah. If he was left out of that 23 and Kendellum was in it. If he was left, or if he was in that 23 and Kendellum was left out, 
if John Hadnan started at seven, just for the sake of argument, uh, I don't think he will. I, th- I think the, the starting back five will be as big as they can get. But like, if, if you had these players starting, like, I mean, if Casey starts or if Murray starts, like, these are conversations that you're like, it's deserving, both are deserving or, or yeah. they're all deserving. And I think it was very obvious when we saw young guys being selected consistently uh, throughout the season. I think before, under previous managers, it would have been a case of, well, you're playing this game, that game, and the other game. They're your minutes. That's where you, you're playing. And like, there's method to that, to that as well. You know, At least you're, you're rotating and you're managing minutes and you're giving guys aims, etc. But ultimately, I think if you're... It's, it's like any work environment. If you're bursting yourself in work, to prove that you're better than everybody else, you want to get that recognition. You don't want to, well, you're just playing here, there, and whenever. It's a case yeah. of you show me you're good enough. You perform, you consistently perform, and I'll pick you. And it's up to somebody else to, to outgun you. Um, I remember Andy Friend trying to pick between three hookers, and he said that he'd play A and B, then B and C, then A and C. And after that, or sorry, A and B, B and C, yeah, and A and C. And after that, he'd sit them down and he'd say, starter, sub, and it's up to you now to, to outwork them. And as soon yeah. as they did, that selection is rewarded or that, that work rate is rewarded through selection, I should say. So we're, we're definitely seeing that in Munster this season. And it's been a massive thing. It's kind of, how would you say, I think it was a lot of, I think it was a big bugbear for a lot of Munster fans for, a num- for the last number of years was the fact that regardless of game, if you saw a list of what players were available, you'd be like, well, he's in, he's in, he's in, he's in, he's in. And it was done because yeah. they either had money in the bank or they were the more senior guys or whatever it may have been. But now, like, I mean, Casey could start this grand final ahead of Murray and an awful lot of people would be like, that's no sweat. Now, selection yeah. horses for courses. And I'm not saying he should start ahead of Murray or anything. I'm not saying Murray should start ahead of him. I'm just saying, You'll never, you'll never ever pick a twenty-three that everybody's okay with. That's a fucking, that's a fact. <laughs> yeah. But it's like that's a fact. But it's a case now where you could select a twenty-three and look at it and say, "I'm okay with that." Probably the biggest conversation, to be honest with you, is around ten. And yeah. and you you look at it, and to be honest, I don't know how it's taken me this long to kind of bring this up. But <laughs> I mean, Joey Carberry was the starting ten, and even when he was playing poorly, he was still the starting 10. Yeah. And the ironic thing is he started kind of playing well and then suddenly he was dropped, uh, wasn't involved in Six Nations, etc. Um, Jack Crowley starting, I know he started at 12, etc. Uh, throughout the season, but it's kind of, the writing was kind of on the wall over the last number of games when you're reaching the business end of the season and he's not involved, you reach a quarterfinal, you reach a semi-final, he's not involved. And let's be honest, I don't see him being in the 23 for this final either. So suddenly no. you go from like the Joey Carberry status or like situation you were in to suddenly, well, it's, well, like there's a, there's a number of things you could do. You could either start Crowley, you could start Healy, you could start Healy and Crowley at 12. You could start Crowley moving to 12, bring Healy on. Like the, yeah. But the, but these are the options I think we'll see uh, this weekend. And again, it's a case of 
it, like it's not a case of reputation. It's a case of when you look at what Ben Healy's done when he's come on in the last number of games, he's been phenomenal. He's been match winning. Yeah. And you look at Jack Crowley, he's quarterback games. You look at that Leinster match there um, in the in the semi-final. There was one moment where he took uh, a kick receipt and he just looked ahead of him. I think it was Harry Byrne ahead of him. It was. And he just ran maybe 15 yards as hard as he could. Like there was no fucking around with this. Like no. he just ran as hard as he could at Harry Byrne and knocked him down as if to say, this is why we're here. Like this is why we're playing. He didn't look for space or anything. This was, this was probably the percentage play. Just carry back, get cover, whatever it was, and stay on ball, which monster like to play. So it's, it's, it's really a case of like reputation in Munster now only gets you so far. It seems that work rate and what you do is being heavily rewarded, which absolutely should be the way. Yeah. Um, and, and I think this year a lot of fans have been refreshed by the team selections and by the fact that that hard work and that performance is being heavily rewarded too. It has. And like the fact that you can look at that 30 and listen, we kind of have an idea of which way the squad's going to go. It's kind of been pretty pretty much the same since the Stormers game when everyone has been fished. They were at the first Stormers game six weeks ago. But the fact that you can look at it and make a case for, if not 30, 25, 26 of those lads, 27 of those lads to be in the match day 23 is a sign. It's a step forward, really, because... Even you look at last year, that Toulouse game, the Munster lost, they were down to the bare bones. And ultimately, the fact that an awful lot of players hadn't big minutes in the season, you think of Jack Daly, Jason Jenkins, Thomas Hearn, they played very little minutes all season. And with them playing in a European quarterfinal, granted it went extra time. And, you know, that's that's a, a whole new ballpark. But this year, it's, it is different. And if you... If it comes to the case that Scott Buckley has to play, for instance, or Joey Carberry has to play, you do a faith in them. And that's, I suppose, that changes the perception of the team in some ways, doesn't it? Yeah, like, like, like we said, like, I mean, I, I have a strong feeling who we'll see in certain positions. There's maybe, I don't know, maybe three or four. I'm not too sure of. Like, I mean, does Earls keep a spot, or does does Nash come back in? You know, or you go 6-2, for instance. Yeah, you might go 6-2 or you look at the front row. I mean, does Cannon start? Does Barron start? Does, um, I mean, you look at Lachman, Kilcoyne, Witcherly. There's only two spots there across those three. Uh, I think Archer will start. Um, Salano will probably be on the bench. I think our back five forwards picked themselves, to be honest, for this game. But you look at sub-second row, probably Finneen, Witcherly. But you look at sub-back row, is it going to be Hadness? Is it going to be Kendellan? If it's a six-two split, will it be both? Um, Jack O'Donoghue as well. You look. Oh Jesus! Yeah, you look at Jack. I forgot about him. Uh, you look at. Um, well, actually, I think Jack O'Donoghue will be involved in the bench. Actually, somehow. Um, you look at nine. Casey starts or Murray. The other one's on the bench. That whole ten, twelve. You know, come. Actually, do you know what? Fekato is back. Sorry. So I think yeah, it's be Crowley starts at ten. Uh, you'll see uh, Frisch and Fekato in the center. Um, Haley obviously starts, and then um, Daly obviously starts. So then it's just another conversation between Earls and, and Nash, you know. And again, Nash missed the last game through no fault of his own. It wasn't that he was mm-hmm. playing poorly, it's 
that he was fucking unconscious the week. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to curse. It's that he was unconscious nice. the, the week previous to it, you know? So, I mean, do you reward Earls for stepping in and the way he played that full 80? Or do you say, well, Nash has been consistently performing for weeks on end? So yeah. it's that, it's that yeah. conversation. Now, again, if it goes a 6-2 split, that's going to be a 9-10 cover on the bench and probably Healy. So a 6-2 split means Earls or Nash missed out completely in a grand yeah. final, you know. So it's it's a massive conversation. Depend- and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it 6-2 split, just considering the opposition, uh, how physical you have to be, where it is, etc. Um, so a 6-2 split's probably the way I'd go. But it's there's a lot of, con- like you said, you know, there's conversations you could have with 26, 27, maybe even 28 fellas. And there'll be there will be four, five, six fellas properly pissed off they're not involved. But ultimately, you can understand why, which it hasn't been like that in a while, you know? Yeah, no, it has. And even, like, you look at it, the fact that Munster won a quarterfinal with a very strong team, but they lost Snyman, Peter Amani, Conor Murray, Calvin Nash, and Malachi Fekitoa for a few minutes. And then they go into a semi-final. They don't have those guys bear O'Mahony who started that game and you know he has to go and put in a, a tough slog I think he went to 60 odd minutes on you know one, one and a half arms essentially you had Ty Byrne second game back had to go the full 80 you had um, Keith Earls having to go the 80 and these lads yeah granted they're you know Ireland stars Ireland heroes in years gone by but like they weren't necessarily what we thought we'd have. And then you even flip it on its head. Then you look at say, you know, um, Conor Murray gets injured. So Craig Casey goes and dictates things so well in that last passage against Leinster. Like it's not just the form of the team. It's the form of the collective is just sky high at the moment. And that's, that's probably the big talking point coming into this week. It's the home side who have the pedigree who've done it last year against a Munster team who were completely fearless. They're on great form. And again, as you said before, they were staring down the barrel of Challenge Cup rugby. Like even Graham Rountree has admitted it. Before they went to South Africa, it looked like they'd be playing Challenge Cup. Now they're top seeds in Europe picture. Like that's a huge turnout just by making a final, by beating Leinster, Glasgow, Stormers. Do you think, I suppose, it's, it's probably a bit of a weird one because Munster haven't had a full strength squad for a full 80 minutes in any of those games, really. Would, could you have really predicted the late season run to, to make that push, to go and make a final? And then, like, how big of an effect does this have when you compare it to, say, 2017, for example, and Munster had lost a key knockout game in Europe about two to three weeks prior against Saracens in the same ground? You look at the same thing would have happened in 2021. They would have lost to Toulouse around the same time. Like, how important is it that the, the the wheels of momentum are so different to previous finals than it is this time yeah it's a difficult one because i mean if you ask the players they'll probably say every final is the same like you you you're that's why you play you you're there obviously you know at some levels you play for fun but when you get to a final no professional player will go into a final and say i just hope it goes well yeah. Like that's out the window. This is professional sport. Winning is everything. Um, it's it's the players' livelihoods, it's the coaches' livelihoods. It's it is everything like. 
Um, and that's before you bring in the idea of success, player success, individual desires and objectives and everything like that. Now, you look at this, count the number of players on the Munster squad that have travelled to South Africa who have a winner's medal playing for Munster. It ain't that high left. No. So suddenly you have a number of guys who probably have been hearing this for quite a long time. Like, oh, Munster haven't won since uh, 2011. Was it 11? It was 11, wasn't it? 11, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're looking at 12 years like with no, with no medals. You look at the guys who have been around for the majority of those years or all of those years, like the likes of Earls. You look at the likes of O'Mahony. You look at, you know, those guys and they've been listening to it and they've been, you know, nearly men so many times. But then you look at these young guys. You look at your John Hadnets, your Barons. You look at, I mean, even the likes of Snyman who was injured for the first fucking forever, the first two, two and a half years, it felt like, or two odd seasons anyway, but was shown kind of that fate by Munster to, to re-sign him again. You look at Craig Casey, you look at Jack Crowley, Ben Healy, um, you look at, you know, um, you know, Daly, Nash, etc. Like these guys want to make their own history. They don't want to be referred to as, or oh, you played for a team that used to win medals. Like you, you, you do want to create your own history and that, and that happens by winning. Like who won, who came second place in 2016 or who won, who came second place in 2015? You don't talk about it. You absolutely don't, you know? Um, so it's, it's a case of creating something for yourself. And ultimately it's like, yeah, the, like the fans own the team as well. Don't get me wrong, but ultimately it's a player driven team. Like the coaches facilitate, etc. But successful teams are player led. And these players do want to create their own history and they want to say, well, we want to find like, here's my medal. Like we are the best team. I'm, and, and they'll go into it and they'll all look across and we even look at the front rowers, like be it Witcherly or Lachman or Kilcoyne, whoever is lining up across from France, Malherbe, they'll be saying to themselves, I'm a better scrummer than you. And, you know, the, the public can say, no, you're not, you know, and whatever. But internally they'll be saying, I'm going to beat you. It's that simple. Like you look at Tweeba versus uh, Baron, probably or Scannell. Again, they'll be looking at each other going, I'm going to beat you. It's, it's that straightforward, you know. And ultimately, come when the 80 minutes are up, come full time, only one team can win. You know, it's yeah. out of, the, out of the, the 46 players that's on the pitch, only 23 will walk away with a medal. It's, it's, it's probably the brutal part of sport, you know. And you, you look at all the other teams along the way as well who walk away with nothing. Some guys, some teams have been on the off season for the last four or five weeks, or you know, it's yeah. it's just the way it is. Like, but they they will want to walk away from this game having created their own success. Now, again, does a win count as success? Like yeah. comes the next part. Like if you look at Jordan, he only has six rings. Is the yeah. other times a failure? Do you know? Yeah, you have to ask these questions too. It's not, it's not as black and white as that. Like I won, so it's perfect. I lost, so everything failed. It's not, it's not as perfect as that. And we probably covered that earlier when we talked about the season for Munster being already deemed a success. But like players judge themselves off silverware. Like yeah. it's, it's that straightforward. And 
you look at the likes of uh, Keane Healy, like so he played in his seventh final. What do you remember about that final? You know, it's four it's, losses or four wins, three losses, like you know what I mean. So yeah. it's, it's 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 a tough one, but yeah, the, these guys, I mean, especially all these young guys we mentioned, like like your Casey's, etc. They are the future. Your Jack Crowley, yeah. they are the future, and to start off that plan for the future by winning a URC and by being a champion, giving them a taste of what it's like. Like that's, that's how you build, you know, because players are selfish. They want more, they want more and more and more. And if you look at the kind of finals there in the last couple of years, it probably would have been with very senior teams. We're seeing very young teams now from Munster and give them a taste of success. Give them a taste of being a champion. And then turn around the following season and saying, everyone is gunning for you here. Like, you have to back this up. Yeah. It, it, it adds a different mindset. And it, I think it adds a layer of pressure, maybe, for the following season. But again, you look at the teams where you or you look at the games and Munster perform this year, you know, Porky Cueve down in South Africa, that Glasgow game, that Leinster game. It seems that when the pressure is on or when they're put in a situation like this Roundtree turns around and just kind of maybe smiling internally saying now we'll see what fellas are made of Do you know yeah. now we'll see who fuck it. now we'll see who wants this like and you you give them a medal and it adds another complex because you're saying okay now you've been successful now let's see who wants more now let's see who's willing to drive on and yeah. like you look at the likes of Johnny Sexton he's not where he is and he hasn't got to where he is by being complacent. You look at Keane Healy, mm-hmm. not complacent. You look at all these players, they're absolutely not complacent by just yeah. winning one, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think it is different because I think of the age profile of the Munster teams we've seen this season and a case of, well, a lot of them are the future. Let's, like, it'd be great, obviously. And, and again, you know, the Stormers fans will be saying the exact same thing. You know, they want them to win just as much as we want Munster to win. But yeah. if they can get a taste of success and know what it's like to be a champion and then have that added pressure of having to go back that up, etc., like it would be massive, like absolutely yeah. massive. And like, like if they if they do lose on Saturday, geez, it would break my heart. Um, my wife, my wife's a Leinster fan, and. Uh, I turned to her after the game there on Saturday. I said, Is you okay? She was like, Yeah, why? And I was like, Because if this was Munster, I'd be out in the car crying on my own. <laughs> so yeah. I'd, be, I'd be sobbing away quietly. Like, so um, I really do hope they win Saturday. It's been a successful season either way, but get, get them a taste of it. Let them build off it afterwards. Like, there's no, under, there's no, like, there's no understating what that could do for a team. It could be huge. And like one team who could fall into the complacency trap is the Stormers. They are the reigning champions. They they are probably favourites for this game. Like it's a home final. No matter what way you change, it is a home final. Even if they are expecting give or take 5,000 Monster fans. I don't know how, but apparently isn't that, isn't that just incredible? Like it would it would be class if it's true. Like maybe Martin and I has got his wires crossed, but if it is five thousand or even close to that, it's phenomenal. Like it's a it's a costly trip. Yeah, with, but, with two weeks' notice. With two weeks' notice, exactly. And it's, it, it takes a day to get there and a day back. And like Munster, the only Northern Hemisphere team to win down in Cape Town this season or over the past two seasons. Like 
And what should we expect from the Stormers? Because we, we can't just wax the airplane about Munster as much as I'd like to. We can. But <laughs> we could. <laughs> what should we expect from them? But on the flip side, like where can they be targeted? Where are Munster looking at the last game and saying, right, wait, like where are we looking, for instance? I think there's two things that will stand to Munster in this game. And the first one, it's very plain and simple. It comes down to physicality. It just comes yes. down to... Well, listen, you're playing the Stormers at home after roughing them up already earlier in the season. You had John Dobson in the media talking about how rough Munster were the last time they came to town, etc. Yeah. That, that irked me a little bit. Like, <laughs> let's, just, let's just play the game here, like, you know. But yeah. They know what they're expecting. Now, because they know what they're expecting, to win that battle physically, you also have to step it up, step it up a little bit. I think we'll see some collisions, some breakdowns that are horrific. And the referee very early on, I think, will have to get a stamp on the game because yeah. you look at the last time Munster played, there was two attempts. Well, I won't say attempts. There was two contacts with the eyes, let's say, etc. Yeah. There was There was moments where you're watching it, you're kind of like, how is that not a card? And as a result, the game maybe spun out of control a little bit. This final, both teams will be going at it hammer and tongs. There's no, yeah. there's like, there's no other way of putting it. There'll be no angels on the pitch. But anybody who thinks it's just going to be, you know, little jabs here and there to see how the other team react, almost like the start of a, a heavyweight boxing match to see how they react. That is not at all. Fellas will be climbing into each other in this game. Yeah. You have the added fact that you look at the second row starting for Munster. You look at the pack that will be starting for the Stormers. You look at the, I suppose, the mentality of Peter O'Mahony. You look at what Kitchoff is like in a breakdown. It's going to be horrific. It's a game that I would not play, like, even <laughs> if I was that. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, so that's the first thing. You know, Stormers will be hugely physical. Munster will have to out-physical them. Um, it's, it's simple rugby, do you know what I mean? The second thing is, and I think it will serve Munster really well, is just how on ball they are. They like possession. Their pack profile has gotten bigger this season. They have the 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 energy levels to do it. I mean, you look at the the quarter and semi-final, they went 44 minutes plus uh with ball and play time. It's like it'll be diff excuse me, it'll be difficult to do uh in South Africa. Um but ultimately that's what they will seek to do. You know, they'll, they'll back their fitness and, they, and they'll back their on-ball tactics. You need to kick very, very well, put pressure on the halfbacks. But again, at the same time, you've guys like Damien Willemse, who is just superb, like just absolutely superb. You've got Libok, who on his day is fantastic. But when, yeah. like, we, we saw a couple of the tries, he, you know, he created against Connacht you know, running from inside his 22, etc. Like on his day, he is, he's a fantastic player, but again, prone to errors when, he, when he's pressured, you know. So yeah. it's, it's a case of staying on ball and being very, very physical, putting pressure on those halfbacks and, and hoping that pressure gets to them. It's going to be a huge crowd there. Um, the sellout. Yeah, like, and it's a, it's a home final. So, I mean... That's that's <laughs> massive. Like you know, it's a sellout. 
at home and where like 5,000 Munster fans are there, unbelievable. The other thousands of fans are going to be Stormers fans. Yeah. So it's going to be noisy. It's going to be a bit of a cauldron. You'd hope it doesn't affect decisions or anything like that. It's a case of silencing them too. And I think the way Munster will do that is physicality, just out and out physicality. And your pack, like Munster's forwards are going to have to go to some very dark places. It's as simple yeah. as that. Soul or 12, Soul 13, etc. 10's going to get a, sh- a few knocks as well. It's, the, it's par for the course, but it's about just going to these very dark places and saying, and just keep getting up and, and just giving it back, taking your medicine and giving it back. The scrum will be a battle. Mall D will be huge. It's um, It doesn't matter actually where you look. You know, loose kicking is going to get either team in trouble. Like Haley is the most return meters off kick receipt, I think. Um, I doubt, like if Phillips starts at 15, I wouldn't like to kick to, to him as a back three either, you know. So it's, um, there's a battle wherever you look, to be honest with you. But physicality, staying on ball, kicking well, it's, it's that simple really when you come down to it. You know, it's, it's a simple sport. They can't score when you have the ball and they're going to struggle to put phases together if you're kicking the shit out of them. It's, it's really that simple, you know, so um just trusting that process trusting that fitness level to get them 40 plus minutes ball and play time and again you know if if you're giving stormers time to recover like with knock-ons and i know the scrum and the line meant to speed up etc but i mean if you're giving a big team time to slow down they'll take it and yeah. ultimately it's 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 not going to go well for you you know i think we saw with la rochelle uh leinster there at the weekend that a, a big pack can get you out of an awful lot of holes um, even a 17 point one so um yeah it's it's stormers will be well up for this like they they know to expect the physicality they'll probably know they have to keep it that small bit cleaner than they did the last day because i mean i mean you, you just and this is both sides i mean you could look at both sides and say oh well you know monster should have been carded for this it's you you could you, you could look at every breakdown as a card you know floating around like so it's um both teams will have to be clean and uh, just be ruthlessly physical, like ruthlessly so. Um, it's certainly, I think we're going to see some collisions though that you're just going to look at and sitting 6,000 miles away, just wincing a little bit <laughs> through yeah. the TV, you know. Um, even the noises and stuff like that, I think we're going to hear from from slaps being being thrown. Like it's it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, it is. It's going to, And you said it's it's a simple game in some ways in terms of, you have to win the game, and you have to be physical. Monster have to be, they have to back their fitness. They have to be ruthless, you know, efficient with ball in hand, which they were in that first game against the Stormers. But something that isn't simple is trying to predict who's going to be crowned winners on Saturday. Which way do you see it going? Is it head versus heart here, like myself, or is it, do you, do you think it is going to be Monster's day this time? I actually think, some people might say it is head versus heart, but I actually think my heart and head could actually be on the same wavelength for this one. Um, I said earlier in the season after that Parky Cueve win that I was going to back Munster in every game in the Predictions League over on our own podcast, and I've done that, and it's worked out quite well most of the time. But even for even for this aside, looking at it as a one-off contest, you've Munster with a lot of momentum. You've Munster heading to a place where they've won already this season 
against a team that's never beat them with players who are out for the semi-final and coming back in fresh. You're looking at a team that have a chance to create something really special. A double is very hard to do. So is winning first season of a total rebuild. So either way, there's something very special up for grabs here for both teams. But I just think that Munster have finally, I suppose, because we didn't see it in the last couple of years, I think Munster could have the physicality to at least, to at the very least, match the Stormers. But I think they also have the game plan that will allow them to tire them and to win the game. I think that, yeah, the Stormers have some fabulous players, but so do Munster. I mean, you're looking at a guy like Anton Dries who just pulls stuff out of nowhere to to create something special. You're looking at a guy like Fekatoa who, you know, kind of in the last couple of months has really shown what Munster signed. You're looking at guys like Nash, guys like Daly, who have been pretty much error-free for an entire season, same with Mike Haley, but also who like to run the ball and run the ball well into space. You're looking at a guy like Jack Crowley, who's really riding the West uh, Crave. Uh, yeah, I'll try that again. You're looking at a guy like Ben or Jack Crowley, who's really riding the crest of a wave at the moment, and a guy like Ben Healy, who's leaving at the end of the season. Guys like Stephen Archer leaving at the end of the season. Um, so it really is a, a like what have Munster got to prove here? Like, do you know, it's yeah. the first year of a rebuild. They can throw caution to the wind here and just play the way that they know they can play. And just trust the process in that and say, well, listen, we have enough to get us through that game. And I genuinely believe that Munster can win this game, like 100%. Um, yeah, it's tough, don't get me wrong. And I really do respect what the Stormers can bring. But at the same time, I'm not a huge fan of... I'm not a huge fan of New Zealand rugby, but one of the things I always liked about them was how much they looked at themselves. And they said, well, we're a, we're a good team too. And yeah. that's, that's what I really like about teams is you respect the opposition, but you don't fear them. You say, yeah, they're a good team. Fuck so are we like. You, yeah. There's two teams here in the final. Munster is one of them. And they got there the exact same way the Stormers did. So, yeah, like I'm, I'm 100% back in Munster on this. Now, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I, I genuinely believe, and this is what we're basing it off, like can they win? Yeah, they can. So, I mean... I'm absolutely backing them, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, my um, my thoughts heading into the first Sharks game was it was going to be a special Munster day. They were going to be win the first knockout game over in South Africa. That didn't go well. I thought they'd lose the Stormers last time in Cape Town. They won that. I don't remember why I thought the second Sharks game. I thought Glasgow would be too strong. They weren't. I thought Leinster would be too strong. They weren't. So... If I had to keep on that team, I should just pick the Stormers anyway, regardless of hope I'm wrong again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I I just think the home final is just too much for me. But I think this Munster team is different. Like Graham Rountree was telling his team, I think it was the fourth or fifth game of the season, Munster lost to Leinster in the Aviva, and he was saying he was proud of the lads. And it's like, no, like I'm sorry, it wasn't me that was saying no, you can't say that, but a lot of people were. You know, you can't be like softening them up that way. But it, it rained through. Like it, they ended up repaying his faith. And now look, they're 80 minutes away from Silverware in his first season as a head coach, not just as a monster head coach, as any head coach. Like it'll be phenomenal for him 
on that level and for the rest of the team and you think of Peter O'Mahony you think of Keith Earls Honor Murray Simon Zebo, even the likes of you know Stephen Archer like if these guys they will give anything they will give their right arm to win on Saturday I have full faith that they can do it I do just think the Stormers will be too strong but I do also think like you Munster will go out there and they'll try and play their own game it's not going to be like any final we've seen before from Munster since you could nearly say 2011 was probably the last time they actually went and played their own game in a final um, whether that's enough is another thing but I think just the fact that I think they'll do that is is good to see because no one is coming into this being like oh don't do what you did before it's okay go do what you did against Leinster and we know it could be enough you know and probably one driving factor you mentioned there that you mentioned it's funny because you mentioned it in passing but I think you've not you you've hit the nail on the head like maybe but it's just love like you mentioned yeah. Roundtree there saying I'm proud of the players after losing in every interview he does like there's no bullshitting like there's no, no messing if something's not good enough he says that's not good enough if the breakdown wasn't good enough he says the breakdown wasn't good enough when they were good and even when they lost but were still good yeah the, the pride he has in them is evident and it's it's just evident from watching the interviews it's not evident from maybe from what he says but maybe his body language or the way he says it or the way he approaches an answer it's very obvious that that love he has for them is reciprocated through their actions and I mean, if you have a head coach, and I'm not saying John Dobson doesn't do this, by the way, but like, I'm not saying any other coach doesn't do this, but if you have a coach who genuinely loves the team, and it's very obvious that everything he does is for the sole benefit of the succession of the team, that makes some difficult conversations. Like we were talking about the selection there earlier, and that there'll be a number of guys probably very annoyed on the, the day of team selection that they have there they didn't hear their names called out but the fact you look at roundtree and that everything he's done uh, like it's very clear it's for the benefit of the team it makes having those awkward conversations that i'm not saying easier but it, it does it does change maybe the complexity of it because you're you're doing it for the team and yeah. Ultimately, as well, the guys who have been lucky enough to be selected, they'll see the guys omitted. And they'll say, well, Jesus, like, there's an added pressure here. Not, not just because it's a fine, but you look at, let's say, Lachman, Witcherly, Kilcoyne. You look at Crowley, Healy, Carrie. You look at, like, even that conversation we had at the 6-2, splench, the 6-2 split, Nash and Earls, or whatever it may be. There's now an added layer of well this is a fine I'm doing this for me but that he got us here like Earl's played yeah. that semi-final do you know you look yeah. at yeah like it, it just adds that extra layer of I suppose I'm doing this for you now I know again and on the other hand the Stormers have the exact same you know they can only select 23 as well there'll be guys missing out of that that you know will be having the exact same conversation but I mean, ultimately, we're looking at this from a monster perspective. That love is a driving factor. And people probably use that word and probably hear that word and think 
you can't say that to your team. You can't say you love, I love you to a player. Like you absolutely can, like, you know, and yeah. once it's not bullshit, like once it's very clear that you deeply care about the person, which I think Roundtree has shown over the last while, it's very easy to reciprocate that love on the pitch and do things maybe a little bit more and put your heads in places where you might not have put them in the past, you know? Um, yeah. And that's a figure of speech, by the way. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not being up, um, anything like that. But like, you know, you're, you're just willing to go through that pain barrier a bit more. And I think like Jean Klein's probably a, a perfect example of it. There was a game in the season I can't remember which game it was, but it was on Axis Munster and he got player of the game after it. And in the dressing room afterwards, Roundtree is literally saying the numbers have been backing this up for weeks. You're so deserving of it. And you're yeah. kind of like, even in games when people maybe didn't notice Sean Klein, Roundtree's in the background going, you were phenomenal. Yeah. You, you, like, you're phenomenal. Yeah. And then suddenly... You know, you go on to place, what is it, 18, 19 games, whatever it is in a row, his body must be in ribbons. Like, I'd say he was delighted it was two weeks till the final. You know, when you think about it, like, but again, he's repaying that hand over foot. So it's, um, it is a massive drive, you know, so it's, it's, it's a huge motivating factor as well, whatever, but yeah, like we mentioned, selection, writing your own history, um, you know, second URC guys haven't won in years, etc., etc., etc. Like that love is just as big a motivating factor, I would imagine, inside in that dressing room. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's it is huge. And to be fair, if anyone, I'll probably plug it here. I'll plug it, you know, probably next week with fan view. Like, if if you're a monster fan, Axel Monster is brilliant to just see that that you know inside the dressing room how maybe people's perception is different to what's actually what we're seeing when we watch it. It is a phenomenal bit of work. Just very finally in a word, you're saying monster. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, ah, get off my, the fence. My heart, my heart says monster. My head says storms, but my heart, I'm wearing a monster Jersey with a monster background on the zoom call. So like, listen, <laughs> my heart couldn't be any more one-sided, but we will leave it there. And thanks very much, Jeff, for coming on and your contributions. And it, it is an absolute treat to be able to talk about Munster in a major final because, as you oh, said, yeah. Yeah. the start yeah. of the season didn't think it was coming. You look at like last season, and, and, and I reference this a lot because, like, I remember, I remember it really well in the last regular game of the season last year playing Leinster and getting absolutely hopped off. And then the quarter final against Ulster and just did not fire a shot for the entirety of the game. And yeah. I remember at the end of that season, being incredibly frustrated and you know fans fans want more you know and yeah it's brilliant to say like you know they're lifting trophies etc but like I said earlier there's losses you can take and there's losses you can't more or less this season there's been losses bar maybe one or two every loss that they've had you've looked at it and said I'm okay with it like that's absolutely acceptable because of the manner of which you lost it. Whereas, you know, last season we weren't. So to be in this position now, to be t- talking about Munster, win, lose or draw at the weekend, it's it, it's so nice just to be back in that position, you know, where yeah. you can, you where, you know, last year you might have, we might have talked in the same way and you'd have, you'd have had 
90% of the population going, you're off your game, like, what are you on about? Whereas yeah. now you can back Munster to win the spine and people go, do you know what? You're not far off. There's a shot, you know? So it's, um, you know, it's huge. It's, it's, it's massive. There is, there's, there's a trophy there. It's a massive trophy, but there is a trophy there for the day. <laughs> it's so big, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I so just as for myself. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it, especially the the monster fans listening. Other provincial fans, fair enough if you don't. I I get it. It's um. I'll have a written article previewing the game on my website this Friday. Yep, this Friday. If that's of any interest to you, and then next week. The fourth and final installment of URC Fan View. We'll take a look back on Munster season by, and one of the guests of that will be Jeff's provincial state of mind pal Tom Savage, aka Three Red Kings. There should also hopefully be a recap of the final in article form, depending on my emotions, as well as a piece looking at Andy Farrell's extended Ireland World Cup squad, which is expected to be named next week. But obviously, we don't know; it's very hush hush. So, if you do like what you see or hear, please do subscribe. And you can find the links from my channels below. But for now, take it easy. And of course, Monster Reboot. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.